You know, the way our world is going, and most of us in this room are, are not teenagers anymore, our health is a very important matter. We need to be aware of our health. Uh, now, I finally got a good health warning this week that it was very useful. It involves shampoo and it runs down your body when you shower with it. Um, and I don't know why I didn't figure this out sooner, just quite honestly. But now I, I use shampoo, not much. You know, I don't have much hair, but I use a little bit. And 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 I, I realize that that when I'm shampooing, the shampoo runs down my whole body in the shower. And you know what? Right there on the label it says, for extra body and volume. <laughs> well, no wonder I've been gaining weight. <laughs> I've been using the shampoo, so I got rid of the shampoo. And now I'm going to use Dawn dish soap because it has a label that reads this way. It says, dissolves fat that is otherwise difficult to remove. <laughs> so now that's the kind of information we need. They need to make those things in bigger letters than they are. <laughs> Obviously, I'm kidding. As believers, though, we need to be aware of our health. And we need to be aware of what does the Bible say about our health. We've been doing a series called Jehovah Rapha. This is the third message in that series. And we need to know what does the scripture say about healing. And I've told you before, if you go to a third world country and they've never been told that God might not heal them, they get healed every time you pray for them. Because they don't know, they don't know they're not supposed to. No one's ever said that, you know, that's not in our, our, in our doctrine. But when you pray for them and you tell them Jesus is the Savior and Jesus is the healer, they just get healed. We need to be aware of what, what, what is our covenant right as believers. We know this, that Jesus Christ is Lord over sickness and disease. We know it's a fact that at the cross, He overcame it. At the whipping post, He bore all of our diseases. We know that's the fact. He defeated it once and for all. But currently, Jesus is our high priest, the Bible says. He's the high priest of our healing. As, as believers, we can turn to him and he's faithful to administer healing into our bodies. We know that he'll do that. He is Christ the healer. So over the last couple of times, we looked at a couple of verses in Mark, Luke chapter 5 and Luke chapter 6. And in both of those passages, 5.15 and 6.17, the scripture says that the people came to hear and to be healed by him. To hear and to be healed by him. We've discovered that hearing is very important with regard to faith. It's very important with regard to health. We discovered that sound can change physical objects. I mean, we need to hear what does the Bible say about health. What does it say about healing? Hear and be healed by him. Too many Christians have heard the wrong things. And their faith is now in something that isn't in the scripture. It's in something that the world has tried to teach them. They've been taught by the church that God is the one making people sick. And that God's wanting to teach them a lesson. Or that God wants, you know, I'm going to give them cancer so they can learn patience. Listen, you don't learn patience by, 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 by getting cancer. Or, or, or God's going to, you know, he's going to kill your child so he can take them to heaven so he can have another flower in his garden. They've been taught all kinds of silly, crazy things. And so they don't have faith for healing because they've heard the wrong thing. When people in the Gospels heard about Jesus and came to him for healing, without exception, they went away healed. 
when they came to Jesus to be healed, He never said no. He never said, well, that's not my will. These people heard the right things. They left healed. Last week, or last time, we we discussed how that we've got to do more than just hear, though. We've got to receive the Word. We've got to receive it. We've got to take it into us. We've got to receive what we hear. It's not just what we hear. Jesus told us that we need to be aware of what we hear and how we hear. It's not just enough to just have heard something or just to hear something. We got to know how do we hear. And we talked about last time that we need to understand with our hearts. We've got to hear deeper than just with these two paddles on the sides of our heads. We've got to learn to hear with our heart. Man, I'll tell you, the Lord, the Lord has never spoken to me through my ears. But He's spoken to me in my heart. That's how He talks. See, He's a spirit, and He communicates in the spirit. And when He talks to us, it's always going to be in the spirit. Now, I know there are those who have heard Him audibly. I never have. I've just always heard Him in my spirit. We need to learn that that's how we understand Him. We understand with our heart. Jesus said, for these people, for this people's heart is wax gross and their ears are dull of hearing and their eyes they've closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I will heal them. To understand with our heart. Jesus isn't looking for people who can just hear with their ears. See, we have ears that are deeper than that inside of us. That's why he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches because we can hear on a different level than just with our audible ears. All right. The Scripture says this in Proverbs 4.22, and you know this verse, I'm sure. My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear to my sayings, let them not depart from thine eyes, keep them in the midst of thine heart. Not in the midst of your head, in the midst of your heart. For they, the words that you keep in the midst of your heart, are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. The word in my heart, in the midst of, to keep it in the midst of my heart. It literally says to guard it, but it's talking about I have to keep it there and keep it alive and keep it current. Earlier in the chapter, he told us to forget it not, speaking of the word that, that, that brings wisdom. We're to keep it. We're to, we're to not, not forget it. We're, we're to keep it, make it alive in the inside of us. That means I've got to look at it more than just one time. I've got to stay in it. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed. And then you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. It's the truth that you continue in that is in the midst of your heart. That's going to bring the freedom. That's going to bring the healing. That's going to bring the help. So we, we must keep it in our heart. It brings health to us. The scripture tells us, the, the, it says in Hebrews, it says, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. It is the hearing and the hearing of the word of God. It's the continual hearing of it that brings faith. And we have to get it in our heart, not just in our minds. I'm going to tell you something. You, you can't believe God for something that's just in your mind. It's got to get in your heart. It has to drop into our hearts. Must be mixed with faith. Listen, it's not enough to, as I say all the time, it's not just enough to have heard. It's got to be like food. We must, we must partake of it again and again so it will bring life and health to our bodies. So inclining 
and attending to the word activates its power as it's mixed with faith. We take the word. So we must be people who, who, who hear the word. We must hear it in our heart. I like what Jesus said in Mark. I like what Jesus says everywhere. But in Mark eleven twenty three, he said this. He said, well, at one time, he, he, you know, somebody said, they said, well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a verse of scripture every single day. And so they opened the Bible and they closed their eyes and they put it in there. And it, and it said, and Judas went and hanged himself. They thought, that's not a very good verse. I'll find me another one. So they opened it up and they hit it again. And it was, it was in red. They thought, this has got to be good. And it said, go thou and do likewise. So <laughs> I like what Jesus said. We need to put it in the context of what he said. In Mark eleven twenty three, he said, For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say to this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. He's talking about this being in his heart. But shall believe those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. He says, he says doubt is in the heart. One of two things is in your heart tonight. Doubt or belief. And those are in the heart. They're matters of the heart. Believing with the heart. The Bible says trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Why? Because if I have the word in the middle of my heart and I have faith in my heart, I can trust in the Lord with all my heart. Heart, And he says, and lean not to thine own understanding. You see, knowledge or understanding is not faith. Faith isn't always understanding. It needs to be in my heart. There are things that God has said to me and to you that we did not understand. But we've got to do what he says in our heart, whether we understand it or not. Faith has to come from the heart. It's a choice that can be der- only derived from meditation in the Word. So the Word falls in my heart. And now I can believe what God said. It takes, it takes hearing and hearing. We've got to guard our heart. Out of the heart are the forces, are the issues of life. And so we guard our hearts. So we take the Word and we understand it with our hearts. And that's my goal tonight, is for us to understand with our hearts. I want you to get more than a mental revelation. God gave us a brain. He didn't intend for us not to use it. It's all right for you to use it, but we need to believe in our hearts. So that brings us to our text that we've used every week. You're thinking, yeah, but you use all those every week. (laughs) And I'm doing it on purpose because as we hear it again and again, that's what's going to help us. The Bible says this in Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep his, all his statutes. I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. I am the Lord that healeth thee. Moses said to him at the burning bush, What is your name? Who do I say sent me? And he said, I am that I am that I am that I am, and that can go on forever. Because that word, the name of Yahweh, Jehovah, Jehovah as we say it, it means I am. I am. And this is one of those compound names, renderings of his name, Jehovah Rapha. I am healing. He always is healing. He always will be because he always is healing. He never said anywhere else in the scripture, well I was healing but I'm not now. He never said, when the last apostle died, then I was healing, and now it's not any good anymore. He is 
healing, just like He is righteousness, just like He is sanctification, just like He is peace, He is healing. It's not that He can't help but be healing. That's who He is. That's just who He is. He is healing. Not was, He is. We've seen that word literally means, one translation says, He's the Lord who mends us. He's the one who fixes us. He repairs us. I mean, He made us in the first place. Certainly, He knows how to fix it. I mean, you know, you buy a Ford and you want to get it repaired, you take it to the Ford dealership. I realize there are other better mechanics, but if it's under warranty, that's where you take it. We're under warranty. Just so you'll know, we're going to take it to the dealership. We're going to take it to our Father. He made us in the first place. He's the one who mends us. He promised us in Psalm 91.16, with long life will I satisfy Him. And show him my salvation. It's a promise. You can find several places in the scripture that God promises us to live long and to live strong. Amen. He no, there's no place in the scripture that he tells us, I'm going to give you a long life, but you'll be an invalid for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Long and strong. And you know what? That ought to come out of our mouths every day. He, I live long and I live strong. My youth is renewed like the eagles. I live long and I live strong. We need to make that what we say. We need to be people who believe what he said. See, God's promise is to live long and strong. I love it. He says until we're, we can live until we're satisfied. I mean, you know, that's like at Thanksgiving dinner. You eat till you're satisfied. <laughs> I mean, you have all that you want. Some are satisfied earlier than others, but we, need to, we, we, we can live long and we can live strong. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless his holy name, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, plural, multiple benefits, and then he lists several of them, we're going to look at the top two, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, all of them, every sin, he forgives everyone who healeth all thy diseases. That's what the Bible says. I didn't make this up. He said it. He said he heals all our diseases. Then I hear it said this way. Yeah, but but all don't get healed. Well, the truth is all don't get saved either. All that walk the aisle don't get saved. Not everybody does. But God has already made a way for them to be healed and forgiven. People think, well, you know, maybe it's just not God's will to heal you. Then there's no need to pray. We're wasting our breath if it's not the will of God to heal someone. We need to know God said He will forgive us. He will heal us. He forgives all. He heals all. He is and always will be Jehovah Rapha. That's who He is. We read last week, or last time, in Luke chapter 5. Jesus was preaching to the snarky preachers. Remember we talked about that? And they're, they're in there. They're, they're trying to find something against Jesus. And the one guy couldn't get in. So they lower him through the roof. I mean, they tore a hole in Jesus' house, lowered the guy down. And Jesus looks at the guy and he says, your sins are forgiven you. He says he saw their faith, said your sins are forgiven you. The guy was a paralytic and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. And those snarky preachers, they were all like, who can forgive sins but God alone? Only God could do that. I love what Jesus said. He said, which is easier? I am so glad he didn't say which is harder. Which is easier? 
To say your sins are forgiven or to say, take up your bed and walk? He said, just so you'll know that I have authority to forgive sins, take up your bed and walk. And the guy took up his bed and walked. Jesus basically said to all those snarky preachers, he basically said, if he doesn't get healed, he wasn't forgiven. Because to Jesus, it's the same thing. Which is easier? Which would be easier? Man, they're the same to him. They're exactly the same. Healing and forgiveness are a part of the same redemptive package purchased in the blood of Jesus Christ. And we went to a lot of length last time to talk about that. I like Luke 6.19. It says, And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue out of him, and he healed them all. Some people say, well, it's just not God's will to heal everybody. In this case, a whole multitude came to Jesus. At least a thousand people were there. The whole multitude came to Jesus. And there went virtue or power, dunamis, miracle power went out of him. And he healed them all. Every one of them. Surely in a big old whole multitude, we could find at least one person that it wasn't the will of God to heal. But we can't find it. He healed them all. People say, well, yeah, but that was Jesus. You know, Jesus did that. He did that to prove that he was the Son of God. Well, number one, he is the Son of God. But he did it as the Son of Man. Don't have time to go into all that tonight. But here's the reality. He healed people. He healed them all. And it says it over and over. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, if he healed them all in the Gospel of Luke, in the Gospel of Matthew, John, or Mark, he heals them all today. He just can't help it. They cut off Malchus's ear in the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, they sliced it off of the guy's head. And Jesus had this terrible case of the, I can't help it. He picks up the guy's ear and puts it back on his head and heals him. And they were arresting him. That's who he is. That's what he does. Heals the guy right there. I mean, well, yeah, but he did that to prove he was the son of God. He didn't have to heal people to prove he was the son of God. In fact, there was this one time he went to his hometown. And nobody came to the meeting. I mean, they just didn't come. And it says he could do no mighty work. Save he, he, he laid his hands upon a few sick folk, the few that came, and he says, and he healed them. All those, listen, he couldn't do the mighty work in his hometown. I mean, I'm thinking if you come to your hometown and you're healing people to prove that you're the son of God and they don't show up, I'm thinking you're saying, okay, go and find me the sickest person in this town. Go find me that guy that was born without arms and legs and bring him to me. And I'm healing him right now to prove to all of you that I am the Messiah. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. It's interesting that Jesus did it, did it the, the Jesus way. I mean, he always did it the Jesus way. He healed people for one reason. Matthew 8, 16 says, And when even was come, they brought unto him many that were oppressed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and he healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. That's why he healed people. 
He healed people who fulfilled the scripture. I mean, a sinful woman came to him in, in, in Matthew chapter 8, in, in, in that same chapter. I mean, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 7. And, and, and she broke an alabaster box and poured ointment all over his feet. And Jesus looked at her and he, and he, said, he said, Woman, thy faith has saved you. Go in peace. The very next chapter, the woman with the issue of blood came and touched the hem of his garment, and she was made whole. And Jesus said this. He said, He said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. He told them both to go in peace, but he said, The first one, your faith has saved you. The word saved is the Greek word sozo. And the second one, he said, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Made whole is the Greek word sozo. They're the same to Jesus. Healing, forgiveness are exactly the same to Jesus. Which is easier? Which one? See, we can't pick which ones because they're the same. They're the same to him. Last week we looked at Isaiah 53. We saw that healing and forgiveness were accomplished in the same act at the same time. Jesus did both for everyone. The scripture says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Listen, the reality is sickness is from the devil. It's never from God. The anointed Jesus went about doing good. Good was healing all that were oppressed of the devil. That's what's good. They were oppressed. Jesus healed them. There are people out there today think, well, yeah, you, got, you can't talk about that healing stuff. You, you need to get away because, you know, that's, that's, just, that's, that's, just, that's just error. In our church, we just preach the gospel. <laughs> just the gospel. Well, Jesus preached the gospel and people got healed. The Apostle Paul preached the gospel. People got healed. The Apostle Peter preached the gospel. People got healed. Philip the deacon preached the gospel. And people got healed because the gospel is the forgiveness of sins and the healing of diseases. It is, it is healing for all, forgiveness for all. We need mind renewal in our country. We've been taught that healing is here and forgiveness is here and they never meet one another. The Bible shows them all the time together. Here's the gospel. This, I'll, let me read you the gospel. He is despised and left of men a man of pains and acquainted with sickness as one hiding the face from us. He is despised and we esteemed him not. Surely, I love that word, surely our sickness he hath borne and our pains he hath carried them and we have esteemed him plagued, smitten of God and afflicted and he is pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is on him and by his bruise there is healing to us. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. Every sin is forgiven. Every sickness is healed. He took them both. Our job is not just to hear it or have heard it. It's to receive the word and believe it in our heart. That's our job. And it's more than just hearing it once a week. This is, this is something we've got to pour into ourselves all the time. The gospel. The gospel. The gospel. Listen, you don't wait till you get sick to believe the gospel. You don't wait till you're in hell to believe the gospel. You believe it. You begin to put it in your heart now. Just because you've got some symptoms of unrighteousness going on doesn't mean you're not the righteousness of God in Christ. 
just because you have symptoms in your body doesn't negate the reality of the Word regarding our health and our healing. We've got to believe the Gospel. We must never allow tradition to decide how we think. We must never allow tradition or feelings to rob us of the it is written in the Word of God. We stand on that. We stand on what He says. We need to apply what I'm going to call the principle of faith here. Mark 11:24. I know you've heard this verse. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. The word them is not there. Believe that you receive, and you shall have, is what it says. What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive, and you shall have. Here's what we think. Here's how Christianity works. Well, just believe. You just need to believe. That ain't what the verse said. It said believe. You've got to believe something. Believe what? Believe that you receive. When you pray, when you pray, the moment you're praying, believe that you receive. It's not talking about mindless confession over and over based on what the preacher told you to do. It's based on when you pray, believe that you receive and you will have. Here's the interesting thing. He said you've got to believe that you receive. I believe I receive. The word receive, we are talking about at the dinner table a minute ago, the Greek word is lambano. Almost every other time the word lambano is used in the Greek language, except in the, when, when the King James translators translated it, almost every other time it's used, the word literally means take. Believe that you take and you will have. We've been taught that faith is a passive, nice, Christian-y thing that we do. Faith is violent. It takes what God has promised. Jesus said, he said, the, he said it's the violent that are going to take it by force. The kingdom. We take it. Jesus said, believe that you take it and you have it. Believe you take it when you pray. That means I'm not focused on my symptoms. I'm not focused on what I feel. I'm not focused on anything except he said it and I'm going to take it. Doesn't mean I can't go to the doctor. Doesn't mean I'm not going to take the medicine. Doesn't mean any of those things. Because, I mean, God, man, he can use the doctor. He can use whatever he wants to use. He can, he can heal me with a miracle. He can heal me with a doctor. He can just, I can just get over it. I mean, he's going to heal me. But that's the covenant I have. But I'm going to take it when I pray. I've got to get rid of all that other stuff. Our job is to believe we take it. Just like the sinful woman who broke the alabaster box over his feet, she was taking forgiveness. Just like the woman with the issue of blood, she dove at his feet and grabbed the hem of his garment because she had decided she wasn't going to be denied. She was going to take the healing. She took it. So now, let's find out how can we do that. How do we take it? I'm going to look at Numbers chapter 21. Isn't this fun so far? Numbers 21. Listen to what this says. And as they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom, the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. They were much 
discouraged. Not just discouraged, much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no bread, neither is there any water. Our soul loatheth this light bread. They are discouraged and they are griping. I mean, they are letting Moses know and they're letting God know. They are not happy. Not happy. And this is interesting. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore, this is, they're brilliant now. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. For we've spoken against the Lord, against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, that when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Now this is how you take it. The people were discouraged. Discouragement often makes people only see the negative. All they can see is the bad. All they can see is how wrong everything is. All they can see, I mean, they are going to, nothing is right because they're discouraged. I mean, you go to church and you're discouraged. And the pastor moves to the right and you just, you become critical. Well, he should have moved to the left. I cannot believe they wore those clothes. Can you believe that worship leader wears those skinny jeans to, to lead worship in? Look at that girl. She's got holes in her pants. And, and everything is wrong because we're discouraged. We gripe, no, we, people gripe about things. I mean, they are so, they are so negative. They, they, they said, they said, and we, we, we don't have the right food. We don't have the right water. And we loathe this light bread. What are they talking about? They're talking about manna. They said, we hate this manna. If you, if you didn't have the manna, you'd be dead. We loathe this light bread. They're complaining about manna. They're complaining about a miracle that they see Every single day, they're complaining because they're discouraged. They're complaining about supernatural provision that comes by the hand of God every single day. They get discouraged. There's no more awe about the manna. There's no more, wow, this is awesome. We don't even have to work. We just go out and pick up some bread. And, 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 and there's one scripture that says it calls it angel's food. Another scripture says it tasted like whatever you wanted it to taste like. I mean, these people, this is the greatest thing ever. Wouldn't that be awesome to go out every day and just gather some manna? And you don't have to get a bunch because you just have to get enough for today. Because you get some more tomorrow. They're complaining. They, they loathe it. This supernatural has become commonplace. They loathe it. It's no longer important to them. Listen, discouragement can be dangerous. When you feel discouraged, you need to watch your mouth 
You need to watch what you say because we got to make sure that we're not griping about God and the people God's put in our lives. And we got to make sure that we don't surround ourselves with other people who are loathing like bread. Listen, that's the worst thing you can do. You know, if you're going through a nasty divorce, the worst thing you can do is, is find a friend that's got going through a nasty divorce. I mean, you, you don't want to have this, this. I've seen it happen over and over where a man and a wife, where one of them gets discouraged, they start griping, and then, the, then the other one, this, they start griping, and the two of them, they're just griping. And they're not happy, and every time you see them, they're both mad. When I get discouraged, Tammy just says, get over it. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're complaining. Now, now, think about this. The snakes were there all the time. They were always in the wilderness. They've always been there. The snakes have always been there. But there was some sort of a supernatural hedge of protection that was built around these people. They've been there the whole time. They were. I mean, they're out there. I mean, they're like, you know, Job had that hedge of protection all around him. These snakes have been there all the time. But when they murmured, the hedge came down. When they complained about God, complained about Moses, the hedge came down. I mean, and things got bad. We must not murmur. Well, I'm not murmuring. I'm just commenting about it. Let's just call it what the Bible calls it. Murmuring. Complaining. Griping about it. They murmured. The hedge came down. I'm going to tell you, if things aren't going well, maybe you need to check about what you've been saying. What are you talking about? You see, the world is a dangerous place. We need a hedge of protection. There are crazy people out there. I mean, they're crazy on the loop. They're crazy in the neighborhoods. They're crazy people. I mean, there, there are those who are just crazy, those who plan terrorism. There, there are things going on out there. We need a hedge of protection. And believers need to be on the front line of this not murmuring stuff. Not let it be a part of our lives. The hedge came down. I mean, we got to have the hedge. Here's what the Scripture says in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians. I'm going to go back to the story in just a moment. It says, Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them for examples and they're written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And the Bible says, Listen to this. This is written so we don't get bitten by the snakes too. So our hedge stays up. I mean, and, and these, weren't, these weren't just regular snakes. I mean, they're not just slithering on the ground. I mean, Gail did some, some, some research on these snakes last night. And, and I told this, I told them the Bible said last night, these snakes, could, they could hurl themselves into the air. I mean, they're like, they're like flying venomous snakes. It wasn't, they weren't just biting you on the foot. They're biting you on the shoulder. They're, I mean, they're jumping on you, and they're biting you. 
and they're venomous snakes. They're, they're, they're just flying snakes and they're landing on people and, and, and they're striking them. And I mean, the people are dying because they're venomous. The, the pain inflicted by these snakes, it was a slow, painful death and the snakes are jumping on them, they're dying. And, and all of a sudden, these people, I mean, they got a revelation. Some in right here. This isn't good. They go to Moses. They said, Moses, we have sinned. Really? Please pray for us. If I'm Moses, it's like, no. No, I'm not praying for any of you. You talk bad about me? We'll see what happens to you. That's what I'd be doing. I'd be like, see there? See there? I told you I was God's man. You just didn't believe it. But Moses has mercy. And he prays for them. Now here's the interesting part of the story. The answer to the problem. Moses was instructed by the Lord to make a snake out of brass and to put it on a pole. And anyone who looks at the snake will live. That doesn't make any sense to me, does it to you? It's the snakes that are killing us. Why are we going to look at a brass snake? Why, why are we going to do that? Let me read you verse 20, verse 9 of that chapter out of the Young's literal translation. It says, And Moses maketh the serpent of brass, and setteth it upon the ensign, and it, hath, and it hath been, if the serpent hath bitten any man, and he looketh expectingly unto the serpent of brass, he hath lived. The Lord didn't say, make a serpent, put it on a pole, and if it catches the corner of somebody's eye, they'll live. He says, i got to look at this snake expectingly. The Amplified Bible says, And Moses made a serpent of bronze, put it on a pole, and if a serpent had bitten any man, and when he looked at the serpent of bronze attentively, expectantly, and with a steady and absorbing gaze, gaze he lived. They're not glancing at a snake on a stick. They're gazing at it. Absorbingly gazing at it. They are expectantly gazing at the snake on the stick. That sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? I mean, it's, this, it's a focused, steady, absorbing gaze. It's the gaze of faith. Faith is always looking expectantly. Now, let me ask you a question. What if at this time I pulled out a big box full of rattlesnakes and I dumped them in the floor? <laughs> What do you think would happen in this room? Do you think there would be some movement in the room? Do you think there might be some noise going on in the room? I'm thinking, I'm thinking there might be murmuring going on. There might be some bad words going on in here. There's no telling what. I mean, people, there would be furniture being kicked over. I mean, I'm thinking the lamps would be being knocked over. All kinds of things would be happening. People would be screaming. You'd be screaming at me. You'd be screaming at one another. Get out of the way! I mean, all kinds of chaos would take place if a bunch of snakes were released in the room. And while the snakes are running around, what if I said, look at the pole! Look at the pole! (laughs) That's not an easy task, is it? Here it is. There's all kinds of chaos. Imagine then if you have six million people and thousands and thousands of snakes 
flying through the air, landing on people, biting them. People are dying. People are in pain. And it's going on all over everywhere you look. Don't you think there's some chaos? Don't you think some people are running, screaming, crying out? Animals are startled. I mean, stuff's falling into the fireplace. Houses are burning up. All kinds of things are going on with these snakes. Imagine you're there and, 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 and people you know have died. And they're coming to you saying, man, did, did, you just, did you just hear that so-and-so died? Did you just, oh, I think I just got bit. Imagine if you were the one bit. And you feel your lungs collapsing. And you feel the pain in your body. And imagine what you have to do. I mean, you're there. And here's your answer. Look expectantly at a snake on a stick. Is that easy to do? No, we're trying to get away from snakes. We're, you can't get used to them. We're trying to get away from the snakes. And the, and, the, and the solution is to look expectantly. Here's what they had to do. They had to somehow... Block out the noise. Block out the pain. Block out everything and look expectantly at a snake on a stick. They, I mean, they had to somehow, they had to somehow attentively, with an absorbing gaze, look at the snake on a stick. They had to block it all out. They had to, that's, where they, that's where they had to get there. So they looked at that. They had to get beyond how they felt. I mean, I think God helped them supernaturally make the snake, but several people died along the way. But it says everyone that looked expectantly on the snake lived. If they lived, they were healed. If they lived, they were forgiven. In one, in one package, there is healing and forgiveness. In one package, they were forgiven and they were healed. How does it apply to us? Well, you probably already know this is coming. John chapter 3, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Even so, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Man, He is the snake on the pole. Mm -hmm. Now, my Jesus, my Jesus is no snake. On the cross, the pole is the cross. On the cross, He became sin and He became a curse. The brass is a picture of the curse. Because the heavens, under the curse of the law, the heavens become brass. He became the curse. And he, when he is lifted up, we gaze expectantly at him. He's the answer to the sin. He's the answer to the sickness. We've got to turn off the noise. We've got to turn off the pain. We've got to turn off everything around us and expectingly, absorbingly gaze at Jesus. He became the curse. The snake was lifted up so they could lift, they could see it. He was lifted up for us to look to him for the answer to the sickness, the answer to the sin. 
We've got to turn off and ignore how we feel, what everybody's saying. I'm looking to you. I'm looking to you. I'm looking to you. We've got to be like blind Bartimaeus was when he was crying out to Jesus. And he was saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they said, shut up. And the Bible says he cried out all the more. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. They said, shut up. He said, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to him. We gotta have that has to be the focus. That's how you take it. You gotta turn everything else off. We got we gotta get to him. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter twelve. It says in verse one and two, wherefore seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author. And the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. we got a race to run. We have a race to finish. We've got to lay aside everything. The word looking here means to turn the eyes away from other things and fix them on something. We've got to fix our gaze on Jesus. This absorbing gaze. What did the word say? What was procured for me in the blood of Jesus Christ? What is it? You see, he's the chief leader. He's the the, the perfecter of faith. He's the ultimate object of the gaze of faith. That's how you take it. It's him. It's not all the formulas of faith. It's not having 17 faith healers lay hands on you. It is looking to him. Grabbing him, taking him, we must look to Jesus. Man, we got we've we've got to forego this attention we give to the, the fear mongering media that tries to tell us, you know, you step outside and if this bites you, you die, and if you do this, you die, and all these things. We need to look to Jesus. I mean, the snake bit Paul. I love that he shook it off because his focus was on the mission that God sent him on. We need to look to Jesus. I mean, we've got to look past the storm. We've got to focus on him. We can't focus on the chaos. Because I'll tell you, when things happen to your body, all of a sudden the devil's going to come. He's going to begin to scream all kinds of things to you. Cancer. Oh, you're dying. It's over for you. We need to begin to focus on him. All who look will live. Everybody that looked at that snake on the stick lived. It's the answer to sin. It's the answer to sickness. See, we've got to believe that we take the promise. We've got to focus on Him. I mean, that focus is evident by our actions, by our words, by everything we do because our focus is on Him. I mean, we, we need to make sure that my focus... See, I'm going to hear what the doctor says, but my focus is on what did Jesus say. Because the Scripture says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? It says we believe the report. It's revealed. We've got to look to Jesus. All who look will live. All who look are forgiven and healed. Let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you that Jesus...
became the curse. That Jesus went to the cross for us and that Jesus took our sin and He became sickness for us. Father God, we give You thanks and we give You praise tonight that the answer is taking Jesus, looking to Him. We thank You, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.